Each one of us is a perfect crystalline snowflake. There's no one just like the other. Stories, however, remind us that we're all just made of snow. I'm Don Hall, and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Welcome to the podcast. I am currently in Los Angeles uh, while I'm recording this for an Audible event. And events production is very interesting, so I've got uh, some interesting stuff to tell you. I, I got here on Tuesday and was going to go to the site visit for the location for our Friday event. We've got a Thursday night event in the backyard of a woman, uh, husband and wife in for Shevowit Hills, something like that. And it's very nice, and so we've got that organized. I'm a little concerned because it's an outdoor thing, but I think it'll be fine. We've got AV, we've got it, you know, catering, bartender, all that kind of stuff. I'm gonna head over there in the afternoon and do that. But I got on Tuesday, went to the venue for a Friday night event. It's a smaller event, but it's a little bit more high end. Talked to the woman, got a contract signed from her. Everything's everything's above board. Everything's great. And I get in the Uber to head back to the hotel, and I get an email, and they have double booked. And they thought it was for Thursday night, and we do not have the space. In fact, we are out of a space altogether. So I got to spend Wednesday running around L.A., looking for locations. I spent Tuesday night contacting a whole bunch of venues and looking for places and then hit a number of places all over LA. I think I pretty much, uh, it's the most Uber I've been in, but one of the things I will say that I really liked about Uber, that at least pertains to this podcast, is I had more conversations with more separate and different Uber drivers, stories that were just, I wish I, that I kept thinking to myself, God, I wish I'd brought my microphone so I could have gotten some of these nailed down, but uh, just very interesting people. Uh, I got a real good sense of why, at least in LA, people drive Uber and how they do it. I, I met a math teacher from Iran who was here. He had opened, he moved here 17 years ago, opened up a bookstore uh, about that went for about 10 years, about seven years ago that kind of went belly up and he does a lot of things and he just started using uber uh, i met a woman who is a, a photographer professional photographer and flies all over the world takes pictures for things and she when she's in town she does uber just for additional income uh, met a, an older uh, greek man who didn't really know where he was going for most of it, but was very engaging and talked a lot about his granddaughter. It was just a really nice thing. And I, it reminds me that continually meeting strangers, you know, the, the, the meme is don't talk to strangers. When you grow up, you're told don't talk to strangers. I think in the new digital age, talk to strangers. Absolutely talk to strangers. I, I get that 
everybody's kind of polarized in, in America right now, and there's always that potential you're going to end up engaging with somebody that's a wild, racist, sexist monster. I'm pretty convinced, and maybe I'm just Pollyanna about it, I'm pretty convinced that most people that the largest, vast majority of people are actually pretty nice people, and if you just kind of engage them on a one-on-one level, you'll have uh, something in common. You will find something that you can be interested in. You'll be curious if you ask questions. It's a really good thing. Back to event production. Event production is one of those things where you know you don't panic. I always say don't panic. Figure out what you've got to do. There's so many things that are involved in producing events. Every event is the same and every problem is different. So it's just a matter of figuring things out. I was curious, quite frankly, if I could uh, handle producing. I produced in Chicago for 30 years, but uh, producing in another city is a little bit different. Not as different as I thought it would be. Lots of uh, fast fixes. There's vendors for just about everything and uh, getting those things taken care of. I'm right now waiting for a phone call for rental chairs because the chairs that we were going to use for the backyard thing tonight are wet because they were outside and it got damp last night here in LA. So this morning, and it's overcast right now, I'm a little concerned that it might rain, but there's not much we can do about that. We've got some contingency plans that are not perfect, but that's what you do. Always have a plan B, always have a plan C, and be very nimble and run around and do your thing. With that in mind, Uh, Today's podcast, I'm only going to include one story, but it was a significant story. I recorded this at First Person Live in Naperville. Diane Castell has created a wonderful experience for the folks in Naperville. It's sort of moth-like, and but it's curated, and there are plenty of storytellers, and this was... uh, I can't remember what the exact, to be honest with you, I can't remember the exact theme of the night, but I decided that I would tell a story about the events, about being a house manager for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. If you're not familiar with me and you've just joined the podcast with this, I was the house manager for NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me for a decade. And that was one of the things that I did. And this story was sort of my way of indicating that a house manager's job is an event producer's job. The job that I have chosen, the thing that I have chosen to do is really not uh, the job description. There's so much more to it and often it's just about really being flexible and trying to make decisions quickly and being calm in the face of genuine crisis. So this was recorded in Naperville uh, for First Person Live. If you haven't seen it, look it up, firstpersonlive.com. This is called Where's Carl? How many people uh, listen to National Public Radio? This won't be so alien then. (laughs) Has anyone seen Carl? It made my hands cold. It it constricted my blood vessels, this question. Tyler, Ann, and I were on the third balcony of the Warner Theater in Washington, D.C., and we were placing Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me gift bags and Carl Castle dolls on every single of the 1,850 seats. Three hours after we did this, every seat was gonna be filled with fans of 
Wait, wait, don't tell me. There to see and celebrate the last taping of Carl Castle as the scorekeeper and announcer for the show. The cast was downstairs with the tech crew and they were doing a technical rehearsal, but Carl was nowhere to be found. And for those of you that don't know, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me is National Public Radio's most popular show. It gets about three and a half million people listening to it every week. It's been running for almost 20 years. Um, and for context, it is hosted by Peter Sagal. And if Peter Sagal is sort of like the NPR version of your smart-ass little brother, <laughs> and Ira Glass is like your NPR version of your boyfriend, Carl Castle is like the NPR version of your kind grandfather. Okay, I started as the house manager for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me in 2007. And at the time, um, you know, house manager was just a thing that they had that showed up and would leave a few months later. So Peter Sagal didn't even bother to remember my name for several months. I, just, I found out much later that I reminded him of somebody that beat him up in high school, so I figured that makes sense. Um, but with all the cast members, Paula Poundstone, Mo Rocca, Bobcat Goldthwait, all of the cast members, Tom Bodette, the person who was the kindest to me right out of the gate was Carl Castle. He was, he, he, I mean, the minute I walked in, he welcomed me, he hugged me, and we would spend time, and he would ask me about my family, and ask me about my life, and he would tell me countless stories of his 50 years in broadcasting. He would tell me about being in high school and being a high school classmate of Andy Griffith. He had a billion stories, and he was just the kindest man I'd ever met. He was a perfect foil for Peter Sagal's sort of snarkier delivery. They were kind of a perfect team. Now the thing about a house manager is that the job description is pretty simple. It's, you know, sell the tickets, wrangle audiences, get them from the street to the seats, make sure everything goes well so the show can go well. But the things that aren't written in the job description are what really made my time as a house manager for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me stand out. I, I recall in the 10 years that I was a house manager, at least four people during the taping of the show had heart attacks in the audience and it was my job to make sure that they were taken care of and the rest of the audience didn't know because we couldn't stop the show. You don't stop a comedy show for a heart attack. <laughs> you just don't do it. You know, I recall uh, a woman and, and holding her in a bundle as she went through grand mal seizures as she was waiting in line after I had called the paramedics. Unless, uh, you know, life and death kind of things. I recall when we did the Millennium Park show for the first time and our guest was uh, the state prosecutor, Patrick Fitzgerald, and he had just put away Scooter Libby. And Peter, that afternoon, said, hey, Don, I know this is a weird request, but could you go get a Razor scooter and have it engraved so that I can give it to him to, to, in the show tonight? And I got that done in about 90 minutes in downtown Chicago. Um, I, I, Dennis Leary, when he was the Not My Job guest, could not escape the building during the show without going to the audience, so I walked him to a back entrance that I happened to know so that he could have a cigarette. Um, we became good friends after that. I got Moby vegan food. I got Advil for Leonard Nimoy. It was a lot of stuff that was not written in the thing, see? So that, that was what the house manager. For seven years, I was a house manager and I worked with Carl. He was the kindest man to my mother. He was wonderful. And in seven years, he was a consummate professional. In that last year, however, he started missing a few beats. 
forgetting things, one of the house managing jobs was find Carl's iPad because he would just leave it randomly in places. And then we discovered that he had been diagnosed with early Alzheimer's disease and it was time for Carl to retire. And he was not happy about it, but that was what we did. So it came to pass. The Chicago, last Chicago taping that Carl had, I organized 500 Sugar Bliss cupcakes for the audience, a 44-piece marching band, and burlesque dancers, and it was awesome. But National Public Radio was not gonna let that go. So they wanted to have his final taping in Washington, D.C. in the Warner Theater, which is a historic theater at the center of Washington, D.C. So that's what we did. We all flew out there the night before there was a reception, hoity-toities, a lot of expensive cheese and really expensive top-shelf booze and a buffet that didn't look like real food, but it tasted fine. And because I was, I mean, Nancy Pelosi was the keynote speaker and there was a whole lot of Hollywood and Washington, D.C. people that were there. And as the, effectively the janitor of the show, I was at a table with no one important. Um, a couple people that knew somebody that was important, some NPR staffers, and Carl Castle's cousin and his cousin's wife. Well, you know, we just sat and gawked at all the famous people, and then we would talk. And at one point, his cousin, well, he was from Tennessee, and I was born in Tennessee, so we had some patico. And so we talked a little bit. He'd never seen the show, but he was in Chicago a lot, so we exchanged business cards and just kept on for the evening. The next day was the show. Has anyone seen Carl? Oh, no. It was a little tense. Everybody was a little tense. The, the executive director, Mike Danforth, came up and he looks me dead in the eye and he says, how do we find Carl? Knowing that Tyler, my assistant, was really bad in stress situations and that Ann didn't really know what to do in this situation, Mike wasn't so much asking me, how do we find Carl, as how do you, Don, how do you find Carl? And so I, I took a step back, I got on my phone, I called his wife, Marianne, had not seen him since breakfast. I called NPR and several places at NPR and they hadn't seen him all day. And I started thinking maybe I needed to call the police because in the image of this beautiful, wonderful man lost walking around in DC and not knowing where it was really made me upset and then it hit me. And I reached in my bag and I pulled out his cousin's card and I thought, I'm gonna get a shot. So I called the number. Hello, I said, yeah, hey, this is, uh, this is Don Hall from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me We Met Last Night, Tennessee. He goes, oh yeah, hi Don. I said, yeah, you haven't seen Carl around, have you? Yeah, he's right here. We're just having a conversation, catching up. I said, great. I said, uh, who, Kate? So could you, uh, could you drive him like, over here to the Warner Theater? We're having a tech rehearsal and he's about an hour and a half late. They went, oh, well, you know, I can just have him drive us. No, uh, could you maybe drive him over? And his cousin, Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, no, we'll be there in 20 minutes. I said, thank you. I hung up the phone. I yelled over the balcony to the stage. I found Carl! <laughs> He'll be here in 20 minutes. The funny thing was that no one, I don't know if it was because they were stressed out or just that they were just used to their Michael Clayton-esque house manager pulling magical rabbits out of his ass consistently. <laughs> But nobody ever asked me how I found Carl. It was enough that he had been found. Thank you. Life is an odd thing. I really do. Honestly, it's been about three months and I do really miss 
my time with Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, but I'm very fond of my experience with Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. I wish those folks well. I still listen to the show. It's really good. And it's a lot of fun. And it's always fun to sort of go, yeah, I wonder what Miles is doing. I wonder what Mike's doing. You know, that's just part of the fun. So with that in mind, that's the podcast today. I am going to spend the rest of my week uh, getting ready for the shows and the events and make sure that those things go smoothly. I hope whatever you're doing in your job is as fun as what I'm doing with my job. With that in mind, I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you enjoyed it and you want to share it with somebody, that'd be super cool. If you'd like to go online and give me a review on iTunes, that's always a nice thing if you enjoy it. Even if you just want to say, hey, Don Hall's an asshat. What a long-winded son of a bitch. That's fine, too. Until next week, rock on. Have fun. <laughs>